Thanks. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my parents um, didn't get everything right when I was growing up, but one of the things that uh, they did really well was Christmas. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, my family, my parents uh, did it this way. I know different families celebrate Christmas different ways. But Christmas Eve, when we went to bed, the tree was bare. There was nothing under the tree. There were no presents. It was just empty. And uh, my siblings, I had three older brothers, a younger daughter. Uh, on Christmas morning, our younger uh, sister. <laughs> when we'd wake up in the morning and come out, oh my word, there was a pile of gifts. You could barely see the tree. And my siblings and I, we would attack that pile like commandos attacking an enemy outpost, you know, and just mayhem and unwrapping all of the gifts. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And then, you know, life happens and I'm a parent. And we have kids and we wanted to create memories for them. And so that Christmas morning to me is, is, is you know, it was a desire for me to relive a little bit of my childhood, but also I wanted to see their eyes, you know, brighten when they got a gift. Actually, I loved them coming out when they were little and uh, Christmas morning and seeing the gifts there. And it was a very, very special memory. And of course, you want to give something they want, right? You want to give something that is meaningful so that when they open the gift that they're happy and every parent I'm sure desires that and of course we would have our kids write lists write a list of what you want for Christmas <clears throat> and uh, it was easy with the boys as they got older because the internet thing and it got down to the point where I was like just send me an email with the with the hyperlinks because they'd write the name of the toy, and I'm like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> well, with our girls, when they were young, uh, you know, they'd write down the, the different things that they'd want, and uh, it was all pretty good. But one daughter in particular, <clears throat> Emily, was kind of unique, uh, our second daughter, and she would ask for the most unusual things. And it was always very tender, very dear, and... So, for example, I remember her on her list asking for a bag of apples. I'm like, really? I'm like, look at, oh, we have apples all the time. We have apples, whatever you want. She wanted her own bag of apples. Oh, that's cute, you know? <laughs> her own jar of Parmesan cheese. Like, you can ask for anything, all right? She asked for a jar of, you know, not like really nice Parmesan cheese, but just like the craft shred, you know. She loved that stuff when she was a kid. Sure enough, under the Christmas tree, wrapped Parmesan cheese. <laughs> what? what is this kid, you know? But the one that really got me to the point where I saved the piece of paper, it stuck away in a box somewhere. Uh, she wrote down on her list, a walk in the woods 
with dad. Yeah, that's what <laughs> You are going to get that gift. <laughs> yeah, that was a gift to me. A walk in the woods with dad. Well, the truth is we need grace. And that's what this Advent service is titled. That we, This is what we need when we come to the Lord. Uh, and what we need from our Heavenly Father and this is what Jesus, uh, what God sent in, uh, to mankind, to us, to you and I, in Christmas. And this is our theme verse for the year. Uh, John 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have received. In other words, this is what we've received from the Father and from Jesus Grace and truth, grace for grace. For the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, it tells the story of Christmas. And it's a great story, and I think next week we'll delve into that a little bit. Uh, the story of the uh, uh, conception, Mary and being visited by the angel, the story of John the Baptist and, and all that being birthed, and, and the story of uh, being born in a manger, having to go to Bethlehem. We read about the, uh, the star and the wise men visiting and, and, the, and the shepherds out in the field being uh, the, the grand announcement, glory to God on high. Uh, peace to, uh, on earth to men, and so all of those things. But in John, he just gets to the point. He says, the Word became flesh. That's the Christmas part in the Gospel of John. And he brings it to the point really quickly in, in his Gospel, that the Word became flesh. And Jesus came to give us that gift that we really needed, and we wanted what we didn't even know we wanted, is grace and truth. So we're going <clears> to <throat> um, look at Advent, look at the coming of Christ from a bit of a different perspective, not the story of how he came, but really more focusing on why he came. And we're going to use a verse that's not normally used for a, for a Christmas um, sermon, uh, but I'm going to do it. Because <clears throat> it is about the Incarnation. It's about the why Jesus came. And it's in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, The law of Moses was unable to save us, so God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. So in one verse... The whole gospel message, the, the reason the story is condensed down to this one little verse. And so we're just going to talk through each line of this verse and kind of explore what it means for us. The law of Moses, the Bible says, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And some people think that the, the law, therefore, was inadequate or there was something wrong with the law, but the Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So there was nothing wrong with the law, uh, it's not because the law was wrong or 
broken in some way, it's because we were wrong. We broke the law. And, that, uh, and we were under condemnation by that perfect law. All right? Romans uh, 3.20 really explains this clearly. It says, No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And I hope this helps you understand the Old Testament and Scripture. Do you realize, um, and many people make this mistake, they don't understand, they think that people who lived under the Old Testament, and when you're reading through Genesis, through Malachi, and the story of the Hebrews, and all the animal sacrifices, some people think that those people were actually forgiven their sins because of those animal sacrifices. But the Bible says that no animal sacrifice is able to, forgive, to pay the penalty for sin. People were not uh, uh, sanctified because of the sacrifices of those animals. Those animals were a foreshadowing to, forward to the Messiah. So when they obeyed out of faith by practicing the animal sacrifices, they were actually believing in the future fulfillment of what those sacrifices illustrated. They were putting their faith, not in the animal, but in the Messiah that would come. Even if they didn't understand all of the details, they were being obedient to the command of God, which said that these sacrifices will point to the coming Messiah. In the same way, uh, we celebrate communion. And in communion, you know, we remember what Christ has done. So in the same way that they looked forward to what the Messiah would accomplish in the New Testament, we look backward and remember what Christ did accomplish and in that, we received the same forgiveness of sins. All right? So it's never, it was never that the law was, was inadequate. Is that it needs to be understood that the purpose of the law was simply to show us how sinful, how broken we are. And Paul uh, explains this to Timothy when he's writing. He says, You have been taught the Holy Scripture from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So when Paul write, wrote that to the young man Timothy, who was a pastor, pastoring the church in Ephesus, he was talking about the, what we call the Old Testament. And that those writings were able to teach Timothy uh, of the salvation that comes through trusting in Christ Jesus. The whole of Scripture, from Genesis all... He was writing about the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He wrote that letter. It ended up being included in Scripture. You know? um, but the whole of Scripture, Genesis all the way through Revelations, points to the same thing. That salvation comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament foreshadowing what is to come. And the New Testament remembering what, what Christ accomplished on the cross. Looking forward to his return when he uh, brings an end to all sin and, and iniquity and the power of Satan. Alright, moving on. The next phrase. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son. 
That's the, that's, that's the next step. The law prepared. But then it came time when, 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 when the perfect time came. There's a verse uh, in grace. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. All right? And, and of course, the famous verse from John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son, same words that are used in Romans, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is God the Father giving the most precious gift of all to his children, humanity. And in order to do that, he had to to give that gift in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Perfect picture of God's grace by sending the literal embodiment of truth, Jesus the truth, the word of God, into human form, into the fallen world. Why? Because God loves us so much. He's the father that wanted to give a gift that really would bless his children, and that gift was his son. And in this phrase, uh, it's one of those verses that, uh, parts, uh, one of the phrases, statements in Scripture, it's easy just to read over and not uh, think about the significance of what it's saying. It says that he uh, gave his son, he, uh, that came in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Jesus came in a body like the body we sinners have. And this is one of the things that really distinguishes Christianity from other religions and philosophies. It's not about humans, mankind, uh, per gaining perfection or gaining uh, 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 the uh, level of, of righteousness or wisdom or knowledge to somehow attain, uh, you know, uh, ascension and become something greater than we are. That's not what Christianity is about. It's actually the opposite. It's that God himself, who was perfect and, 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 and holy and pure, he, he came down to our level. Right? Uh, it's not that it's a self-help religion to make ourselves better. It's actually the story of God coming down and taking upon himself uh, a human form. Jesus makes it very personal by coming personally and actually coming, inhabiting. You know, how did this happen? How, Jesus is the eternal God. The Bible says that everything that was created was created through the word of his power. And it, is, and it remains, everything is held together. You know, what holds the universe together? Scientists are still just trying to figure that out. I know. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus. It actually says Jesus. It was through Jesus all things that were created. Nothing was created except that was created through Jesus. And so he was there in the creation. He's eternal. And somehow in the wisdom of God, he condensed himself into human form and came so that he could walk say in our world right every aspect this whole bodily aspect we're still thinking about physical touch your body 
Are we familiar with our body? I'm very familiar with my body. It reminds, my, it reminds me of itself every day in new ways. <laughs> every aspect of life is experienced through our physical body. Even spiritual body. Even our spiritual experiences. We think they're like out-of-body experiences, but they're not. No, I've had some spiritual experiences. I could tell you all kinds of stories. I got saved by a vision. But you know, I had that vision while I happened to be in my body. All right? And I was passed out, I was unconscious, I went into a trance, whatever happened, I don't really understand the details, and had a vision of Christ appearing to me. And when I awoke, I was covered in sweat and my body was shaking. And I was like, something intense just happened, and I didn't have an idea what it was. And later that day, a man came and preached the gospel to me, and I got saved. All right? And so even, you know, if you're reading Scripture and God speaks to your soul, you know what? Your brain was involved in that. Your eyes were involved in that. If you're singing, you experience God in a, in a worship service, Part of that's just your neurons firing and uh, hormones shooting some dopamine through your brain. Our bodies were created in a way so that we could experience God. Okay, And every aspect of our, our lives we experience, uh, and it, it involves this physical nature. And that's why Jesus needed to come in a physical body. The issue is because of sin... We experience everything through a shattered lens because sin broke our bodies physically. Everyone dies. It may not be the result of a particular sin, but it's the result of sin in general. All right? And sin affects every aspect of our being. And so even though we experience truth through our bodies because of sin, it's often you know, seen through shattered glass. And the light of the truth is distorted by the fractures that still remain that were caused by sin. Christ, though, coming in a human body redeems that body. Just the fact that God took residence in a physical body makes our physical bodies something that is holy. Because God inhabits them. Now, the scripture says God inhabits your body. But you know what? Jesus is still in a human body. In heaven, there's a human sitting on the throne in his resurrected form. He will always be fully God and fully human from the point of his conception on. And that's just a radical thought. And it's such an error to think that our physical nature, our physical being is somehow bad or evil. That's actually a heresy. Okay? That's not true. Right? Our physical bodies have been corrupted by sin, but Jesus came to redeem your physical body. And the, the, the promise of Scripture is that your physical body is going to be as perfect as Jesus' physical body is. Does that sound good? Yeah. It sounds really good to me. You know why? Because dang. <laughs> As you get older, 
You find your limitations even more clearly pronounced. All right? <clears throat> I was down in Vandalia last week talking to a guy about my age, and he's a farmer, and he was like, yeah, Cameron, I had to, had to climb to the top of the silo to fix something or another. <clears throat> I said, it was cold out, but I knew I was going to get a workout, so I took off my coat before I even started. I climbed all the way up. <clears throat> By the time I got down, I was covered in sweat. <laughs> I said, it's funny, George. I said, you know, back when we were young, you would have climbed that ladder without even thinking about it. Ah, I would have climbed it three times, not even thought about it. You know? And now he's like, you know, I'm going to climb that ladder once a day. That's like his new workout. <laughs> That's a good idea. And I, you know what I thought? Boy, my feet would hurt so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Things change. If you're young, enjoy it yeah. while it lasts. Yeah. <laughs> if you're old, we got to fight to keep it. But um, <clears throat> our bodies, uh, are, uh, are, the promise is that we're going to have a redeemed body, no longer subject to the effects of sin and the curse. Right? This makes our bodies holy, and the, and the reason that we're able to have that confident hope is because Jesus came and took on our body. He sanctified it, and he redeems our body, and he did it, he did it so that he could get inside of the problem and fix it from the inside out. That's what Christmas is about. And what we need to understand from this is that there's nothing about being human to which Jesus cannot relate. There's no aspect of the human experience that takes Jesus by surprise. All right? To fix our brokenness, he became broken by our sin, not by his. You know, he experienced the whole experience of humanity. He didn't have to do it, he could have come in, in adult form and still have done it. God could have just created a human body and came in as an adult. But he humbled himself to come at conception so that he experienced every moment of what it meant to be a human from being in the womb, being in the birth canal. And, and we don't know if he was aware because he was divine of all that. We're not aware, but it, it was, we now know that those, those experiences, even as a fetus, and embryo affects us even all the way through our lives. And certainly Jesus it, it took on that human form so that he could experience every aspect of what it means to be human. But we really see the fullness of how much he took on our brokenness on the cross. And yes, he was physically beaten and he was physically nailed to that cross, and he was bleeding and had the crown of thorns, and we see the brokenness of his physical body, but even more significant is on that cross, he took upon the brokenness of our sins. All of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the penalty of the sins that you have ever done or ever will do and the sins of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth that ever has lived or ever will live, Christ at that moment took upon it and he experienced the full weight. He even experienced what it feels to feel guilty because in that moment he felt the guilt of sin and he cried out, my father, 
Father, why have you left me alone? Why have you forsaken me? He felt the separation that to us is normal. Right? But he had to feel that so that he could redeem us from it. He took that from us so that he could give us his righteousness. And the reason we need to understand this and, and the why uh, uh, for this is that we, we can understand that we are never alone. You are never alone in what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, what you're longing for, what you're struggling with. There is nothing in your life, there is not a moment of your life that you're alone that Jesus cannot relate to. Because he experienced something similar and because he's right there with you. He promised to be with you in everything, through everything. And I believe that he feels, God feels the pain of every man, woman, and child infinitely greater than even what we feel. Just like when you're a parent, when your kid is disappointed, you feel that disappointment greater than they do probably. Right? And the Bible tells us this. It's in Hebrews chapter 4 that this high priest of ours understands our weakness. He faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So he came to live through and experience what we live through, but do it in, a, in victory so that he could give us, share with us his victory. That's Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. Um, and this should be our response. This should be what we do in response to understanding why Jesus came. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, 16, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Yeah. You know what? We, we need to do this when we need it most. When do you need it most? Constantly. Yeah, everybody says constantly. But you know what? In a worship service, just spent time worshiping God or you know, listening to some preaching, you're like, you're okay, you've set aside this time. You're at church. This is good. You're doing good. You're probably not sinning right now. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> but you know what? When you're alone and lonely and depressed... That's when you need it most, when you're sitting in front of something that you shouldn't be sitting in front of and you're tempted to indulge in something that you know is harmful to you that God says don't do and you, and you want to do it. That's when you need grace most, when you're upset with someone because they're behaving in a way that irritates you and you don't want to be nice to them. That's when you need it most, okay? And it's when you need it most that you need to come boldly to the throne, uh, you, you need to access that throne in that time. The response is move from where you are in closer to God. Okay, And the word boldly is very significant here. It means bluntly. That's what I like. Frankly. You know, just, just, just burst in. <sighs> Do we realize what Jesus accomplished for us? The throne room of the Almighty. Angels. Fear the tread. He hasn't given this right to the angels. They can't just burst into God's presence. He's given it to you. Because you deserve it? No, precisely because you don't. All right? And that we can come in 
when we need it, when we're covered with the guilt and the shame and the dirt of our own poor choices, we can come in and he's going to receive us. He's not going to be mad. It's going to make him happy. You want to make God happy? Come in. Our sin, our human frailty is not a reason to hide from God. It's the reason to run to him. Regardless of whatever you're struggling with, that's when he wants you to come into his presence. Same thing is said in chapter 10 of Hebrews. So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. The most holy place. Because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into his presence. There's this anointing on that statement. I had. Just go right in. Just go right in. Can I, can I go in? Yeah, just go right in. Well, I'm afraid. You, know, you ever go to some place like you're a little afraid about walking in? Let's just go on in. And we can go right in. Just go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him for our guilty consciences. Oh, it actually admits that we have a guilty conscience. Take your guilty conscience in with you. Because He knows you have it anyway. That's why He's made this new way. Our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So what he's re- referencing here, if you don't uh, know, is that the, in the Old Covenant, there was an actual curtain that separated the presence of God as demonstrated by the Ark of the Covenant. And only one person, once a year, could go into that place. And that was the high priest after much preparation. They could go in and they, they actually sprinkled blood inside the blood animal sacrifices and it was a, it was the most holy day of the of the whole year and here it says our consciences have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ right? and our bodies have been washed before the priests could go in they had to wash from head to toe right? and that curtain that separated was the curtain of uh, of sin of humanity and that curtain has been removed that we have access to go in to the holy of holies, right in to the presence of God whenever we need to. So what this means for us is that we need to realize, because of what Jesus did, we need to, in order to come in, you need to realize you're not in. Right? Or there's some aspect of your life that isn't fully in God's presence. And that's what we call conviction. There's some area in your life, there's something that needs to change. And, and, and that's, that's a good thing. And understanding this, contemplating it, recognizing what Jesus did enables us to come to a place where we're convicted. We see parts of our lives that need to be exposed to the presence of God. And then we embrace that awkward, fearful, shameful uh, uh, experience of being exposed before God. And you know what? You need to walk in. Even though it, you know you're going to feel ashamed. Because you don't want to disappoint him, but you've disappointed him. But it's the bigger disappointment to not come in. He wants you to come in. 
That's why Jesus came and did all that he did. He's telling the truth. I'm trying. (laughs) That's confession. That means, you know what, when you feel like you don't want to do it, that's when you need to do it most. Mm -hmm. And get used to it. And you leave behind who or whatever is causing the separation. That's called repentance. And so maybe there's a person or there's people or group or uh, a behavior, a habit, uh, a thought process that you're doing that separates you from God. You need to repent and change that behavior. Leave that behind so that you can come right in to the presence and leave behind anything that keeps you away from that presence. And then you need to accept his acceptance. And that's just forgive, being forgiven. You just got to receive it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But you know what? If if a parent buys a kid the gift, or if you give anybody a gift, you want them to receive it. And it actually is the most honoring thing to do is to receive the forgiveness that Christ uh, accomplished for us. And then learn how to live in a way that you are comfortable in His presence. And that's the sanctification. That's the process of becoming right with God so that, so that you're no longer doing things or thinking thoughts that are offensive to God, but actually doing things and thinking thoughts and, and, do, uh, and living in a way that makes you comfortable in God's presence because you've taken on His character. And then the final one is bringing that change that we've experienced and sharing it with others everywhere. And that's living a transformed life that you now then become an agent of transformation because you're in the presence wherever and whenever you are. You're bringing that power of that presence into whatever situation. This is the last part of that verse, last uh, phrase in that verse. It says, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You know what? It's all about control. This is a control issue. Who's in control? And, and, and the incarnation, Christ coming, what we call Christmas, is about Jesus uh, gaining control. Uh, it says it very clearly in Romans 6. Sin, no longer, sin is no longer your master. Uh, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. How many are happy about that? Sin no longer controls you. All right? There's no part of your life, your body, your mind, your emotions, nothing, nothing is under the power of sin unless you yield to it. Now, without Christ, sin has power. People are trapped under the dominion of sin and Satan. They may think they're free. It doesn't mean everything they do is wrong. Uh, 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 You know, people that don't believe in Jesus do lots of great things, honorable things, noble things. But they live under the control of sin. But when you come to Christ, you actually, it has no power over you unless you choose to give in. All right? And even when you do, That doesn't change the way God feels about you. The door is still the living way, uh, is open. That's when you need grace. That's when you run into his presence. That's when you receive. 
So Christmas is a story about Christ coming and wrestling sin, wrestling Satan, wrestling the, the world to set everyone free that comes to him and receives him as Lord and Savior. Now, familiar verse is most often read during the Christmas time. It's a prophecy concerning this Messiah, way back, hundreds, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came. Um, it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, that's prophetically speaking about Jesus who is to come. But this word government is really interesting. And, and yes, it, it refers prophetically to the day when Christ will rule uh, and reign on earth forever and ever when he returns and puts everything in order. It's referring to that. But I believe that there's something that's even more important, and that is the application of his rule being applied to our life today. All right? If you want to experience Jesus' government in, in, in the future, in the, in the resurrection, you need to learn to experience his government today in your life. Right? What that means is that is our lives, is our lives, uh, are our lives, is my life being governed by Christ in every aspect of my life. And the truth is, maybe most of my life is, but there's still areas of my life that need to come into uh, uh, under his rule, his reign, his governance? Have we declared our, our allegiance to him? Are we seeing the fruit of the influence of his reign in our lives? Are we seeing these things called that the, the wonderfulness of God, the counsel of God, his might, his everlasting father presence, his peace, are these attributes evident in us, evident in our home, evident in our thoughts, evident in our cell phones? Oh, sorry. <clears throat> evident in our bodies. See, if Christ is ruling in us, then we'll see the evidence of his rule by seeing these things in us. And, and we need to grow in that. We have full access whenever, wherever we need to go right into that presence. And so I encourage you right now, let's just, just close your eyes and think about this for a minute. That there's a door from our present reality, whatever it may be, that you can open and go right in to the reality of the holiest place in the heavens. The, the holy of holies. The very presence of the eternal God. That you have a secret passageway that's always there. It's never locked if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's given you the key to walk right in. And I encourage you this Christmas season to, 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 to request and to receive the gift like my daughter requested to go for a walk with Dad. So go for a walk this today with your heavenly Father because He wants you, He wants to take that walk with you more than you can ever imagine.